So there's a phenomenon that you have probably experienced at some point in your life. Um, psychologists call it emotional contagion. And emotional contagion is this thing that happens when you are around other people and you sort of pick up their attitude or their behavior or their emotion, whatever it is that they're putting off, it's a little bit contagious and you sort of pick it up. Um, You get around some people that are really happy and you start getting really happy. You know, you go to the DMV and you start wanting to bang your head against the wall. You know, it's like, it's like you just pick up what other people are putting off. And I'll give you a personal example. Um, I'm not a, a Disney person, really. I'm not like a Disneyland kind of guy. It's not my thing. But I have a bunch of little children. And uh, I also have in-laws that live in Southern California near Disneyland. And so a couple years ago, we went out to Southern California to visit my in-laws. And they've got these free passes to Disneyland. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't want to be a stick in the mud. I don't really want to go to Disneyland. It's not the happiest place in the world for me. But my kids are like chomping at the bit. So, um, you know, so we go. Well, the other factor is it happened to be my birthday that day. So I'm like, man, there are like a a thousand places I would rather be. Um, I'm sorry for all you Disneyland fans out there. You're like, dude, this guy is like a meanie. But anyway, um, so, so anyway, we go, and it's my birthday. And so if you've ever been to Disneyland on your birthday, they make you go into like City Hall, Disneyland City Hall, and you have to go in there, and they give you a sticker. And the sticker has your name on it, and then it says, it's my birthday. And then they direct you over, <laughs> they direct you over to a phone, and you pick up the phone, and it's no joke. You know the, the dog Goofy? Goofy the dog, you know? He's, he's like... He's like giving you a happy birthday message on the phone. He's like, hey, Brent, hey, happy birthday, you know. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, everybody. Can I just, can I please just, I'll go in the parking garage and just read a book. Um, so anyway, come out of, of City Hall. And, you know, I did crack a smile when Goofy, you know, thought, all right. It's, the absurdity of it, at least, is entertaining. So uh, I go out, and I'm walking down mainland, you know, Main Street, Disneyland, and there's a person that works at Disney, and they're sweeping up the floor, the ground. And they look up at me, and they go, hey, Brent, happy birthday. And I'm like, hey, oh, yeah, the sticker. Okay, I got you. Um, and I thought, okay, that's, that's, that's good. And then, you know, maybe 20 feet later, there's another employee at Disneyland. They're like, hey, happy birthday, Brent. You know, I'm like, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, another 20 yards, same thing. Brent, happy, you know, the clerk behind the the ice cream thing hey happy birthday Brent so the thing is like after 25 30 strangers are like hey Brent happy birthday it actually kind of you start to get in a little bit of a good mood you start to go hey thanks thanks guys you know and like literally like by the end of the day I'm like walking through Disneyland high-fiving people I'm I am wishing other people happy birthday hey Mike happy birthday you know, like, whatever they had, I caught, all right? It was like the emotional contagion. Um, you guys have had this happen, right? You know, you just, you're at work, somebody's cheery, and pretty soon you kind of give into it, right? Or they're grumpy in the same way. Uh, we see it in sports, like when, when Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali would fight, they would just bring out the best in each other. Whatever one was bringing, the other wanted to bring, right? You know, uh, there was a great rivalry, Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson, way back, uh, way back, eons ago. And they would just bring the best out of each other, you know? Like, 
Kobe and Shaq playing on the same basketball team. They, were just, they didn't like each other, but they brought out the best in each other. And the premise of this series, what this series is about, is about us reaching back to the heroes of faith that were before us and experiencing their attitude and their thoughts and their behaviors and letting that be contagious for us, like getting faith contagion from them. Uh, the, the anchor verse for this series is in uh, Hebrews. And in Hebrews, um, there's, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this, there's this description of all of these heroes of the faith. And the writer of Hebrews talk, uh, talks about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Joseph and the prophets. And he says, you know, they've been through so much. They've done all of this stuff, but they were justified by faith. And they pushed through and they persevered and they endured. And then in Hebrews 12, it says this. It says, therefore, since they all did it, right, since they all came through and fought the good fight, uh, we also, since we are surrounded by them, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, you and me, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What the writer is saying is, is you are on a race. Your life is not just a meandering through the tulips. You're on a race. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're pursuing something, right? And they pursued something. And now they are this cloud of witnesses surrounding us going, come on, come on, you can do it, come on, come with, do it, you can, you can do it. You know, they're, they're cheering us on, so to speak. And, 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 and so the idea is, for this, for this series, what if those heroes of the faith could come down to us while we're running our race and could give us one statement from their experience, one statement from their life, one statement from the way God moved in their life, what would they reveal to us? What would they say to us to encourage us to keep pushing forward in our pursuit of Jesus? What would they say? So for the next several weeks, we're gonna ask that question of various heroes of the faith. What would they say to you today? If, if, if they were here today, what would they say? And we're gonna start with one of the greatest prophets, probably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was a, he wrote a, he wrote a, he wrote a book, Isaiah, it's called, uh, and, and it's 66 chapters, and it is not um, bedtime reading for children, okay? So it is intense, and Isaiah is this guy, we don't know a ton about his personal life, we know he was married, he had two kids, uh, and he was really well-renowned and respected in all of Israel and, and Judah, and he was like a, a counselor and an advisor to uh, several kings, four kings throughout his time. Um, this is 700 years, by the way, before Jesus. And Isaiah is one of these guys, he had witnessed, as a young man, he had witnessed the Assyrian army encroaching upon Israel. He had seen desolation, he had seen warfare, he had seen brutality, he had seen killing and maiming and not bedtime story stuff. He had seen it, and so he writes with this vividness, and I encourage you, when you get home today, crack open the Bible and start reading the book of Isaiah, because he just puts it out there. And what he's saying is that there's a, there's a desolation and a loss and a despair that comes when we turn away from God. And there's a beauty and a joy and a richness and a love and a peace that happens in our life when we turn towards God. So if you could boil all of his stuff, all of his experiences, all of his writings down into one sentence, 
Here is what I believe the prophet Isaiah would say to us. He would say, men, women, boys, girls of U City Family Church, one thing, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Doesn't need your money, doesn't need your service, doesn't need anything you've got. He gave that to you in the first place. He gives, he can take away. He doesn't need, he just wants your heart. And a lot of people, I think, have been in church all their life and they've never gotten that message. They've never learned that God is a God who just desires to have an intimate relationship. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, desires an intimate relationship with each and every one of you. A deep, rich, and personal relationship with you. In fact, Isaiah captures God's heart in the 43rd chapter. Here's what he says. And, and, he, and he's writing from God's perspective. It says, I am the Lord your God. This is God speaking. I am the Lord your God. I am your Savior. You are precious and you are honored in my sight. And I love you. This is the God of the universe. You read Isaiah, man, there's desolation, there's waste, there's killing, there's. But at the heart of it, God's heart is saying, I want you. I want your heart. I want your heart. Some of you are here today, you've been hurt by God, or not by God, but by religion, representing God. You've been hurt in church. You've been hurt growing up. And you say, look, I am, I'm guarded. I'm jaded. I'm a little cynical. I'm a little reluctant. And I don't want to get hurt again, right? And God is saying, I want your heart. I'm going to give you my heart. And what I want is your heart. That's all I want. So then the question comes, two questions that come for us today. One is, what prevents us? What stops us? What keeps us from offering our heart? What keeps us from having that intimate relationship with God? What prohibits us from having that? And then two is, how do we get that? How do we restore that? How do we experience that in our life? So I'm going to start with question number one, and I'm going to tell you what Isaiah tells us uh, keeps us from having intimacy with God. So the first question is, what prevents our intimacy with God. Now, when I first became a Christian, um, I started attending a church in Arizona. It was called Mountain View Presbyterian Church. There was a guy, an older pastor, his name was Ralph Meredith, and I would sort of slip into the back. You know, I grew up in church, seen it, done it, been there, got the t-shirt, you know, and checked out for 15 years, and then um, God started pulling me back in. So I would, I would slip into the back of this church, and I heard this pastor preaching and revealing the gospel. In fact, I sent him an email this week and just said, man, I don't know if you, I'm going to be talking about you today. I don't know if you even remember me, but back, you know, in 2005, I came to Christ under your, um, under your pastor, uh, pastoring. And so, uh, so he said, I remember this sermon, one of the er- first sermons that I heard him preach. He said, there's two kinds of, of, sinners. There's two kinds of people that are, that are far away from God. He said there's the open and obvious kind, right? These are the overt sinners. These are the ones that are like, man, you know, uh, we just, we're, we're just blowing it, and we don't care who knows it. Everybody knows it. I know it. You know it, right? Everybody knows it. And then there's the more covert type, and that is those are the ones who uh, have a sort of religious facade and may not even know that they're far away from God because they've gotten into the routine. They've gotten into the routine of church and the routine of religion, and they've got the exterior dialed in, and everybody looks at them and goes, oh yeah, they're good, right? And they look at themselves and go, hey, I'm good, right? There's no problem, right? But deep down, 
there's, there's, there's a problem. There's a, there's a separation from God. So I want to start with that first kind. That first kind, because that's who Isaiah starts with. Isaiah says that there's a, uh, uh, a religious routine that we can get into, and that actually prevents us or keeps us um, from experiencing God. Now, I bought a, we bought a house several years ago um, in U City, and when we were looking at the house, uh, it was an old house, and, um, and you know, the, the previous owners, and I, I don't know who they are, and, and I hope they're not members here, but anyway, it was, um, or you could become members, we'll just work it out. But anyway, it was, there were a lot of problems with the house, you know, like, Things that were not right, things that weren't done the correct way, like plumbing and electrical and things like that, small things. Um, and I, I remember going and visiting the house one time. There are all these weird things in the house. It's just like, oh, this is weird. Floors flant, slanted and stuff like that. But, and I go into the garage, and the garage looked beautiful. The garage was like drywalled, painted, lighting fixtures. I'm like, What? The, the, the garage looks fantastic. Like, this could be our bedroom. Like, this could be, this is nice. It's nicer than the bedroom. So, um, you know, so that was my first experience. And then we went around, looked at some other houses. We came back to look at that house again. And I went back in the garage, turned the light on. I'm like, man, it's, it's really a nice garage, but it's like a little bit of a, a little odor in here. And I don't know what it is. It's just something stinky in here. And I don't, huh, interesting. Left, looked at some other houses, came back the third time, turned on the light in the garage, and there's like this huge pattern of black mold. It's like a, cir- it's like a leaf-shaped pattern with just little tendrils going out. Just, just rot. Just rot on the drywall. I'm like, what is that? I go over and I kind of poke it with my finger. And the drywall just poosh, crumbles. And what happened is that there was a drainage into the wall of the garage. And it was just rotting out back there. And the owners, in an effort to sell it, said, you know what? Let's just drywall over it. I just put a nice drywall, we'll paint that, and nobody will know, right? But they didn't, they thought the house would sell more quickly, you know, before everything rotted through. And, and so, you know, we, we got, uh, you know, a few thousand bucks off the price of the house, which was good. But the illustration is this, that Isaiah is telling us. Sometimes what keeps us from God is that exterior that we have. Because we have this good front. We have a good front. We've got our religion dialed in but underneath it man it is broken it's corrupt it's it's not good it's rotten and unless we can break that open and expose that to the sun and expose that to the heat and get in deep and do some deep heart repair right then this is not going to get better in fact here's the way isaiah says it and he's, he doesn't he pulls no punches and this is god speaking through isaiah god says the multitude of your sacrifices, your religious rituals, what is that to me, says the Lord. He says, I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings, he says. Your incense, you know the prayer, the incense, is detestable to me. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate. I hate your stuff. I hate your religious stuff with all of my being. He said, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I actually hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Why? Because these people that Isaiah is prophesying to had allowed their religiousness to get in the way of their heart relationship with God. They had 
built a facade to impress God, forgetting that God is not impressed with our facades. Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he points to the religious leaders around him and the Pharisees, and he says, Woe unto you, religious leaders and Pharisees, because you guys are, doing, you guys are paying tithes on your, like, mint, on the cumin, on the little spices. You're paying, you're, you're paying tithes on every, you're, doing, you're following the law to the letter, and yet you are ignoring justice and mercy and love. Jesus said, you should keep doing the former, but not at the expense of the latter. So God is saying, look, I want your heart. I, your religious services, your religiousness is not what I want. And if that is a substitute for your heart, it actually takes you further from me. So that's number one, religious, uh, 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 religious uh, ritual. Number two is our personal Personal pride. Personal pride. Um, I, I have a friend, and my friend is, is a great guy, and he's really funny and really cool, and he loves to talk about himself. Just loves, loves it. He's got a, he's got a lot of stories, and, and they're good. And, and, what, and he knows this about himself. And at the end of his sort of like, you know, long monologue, like you, if you, don't, you don't call him unless you have 45 minutes, right? Because then, and then at the end of his long monologue about himself, he'll say this as a joke. He'll say, um, all right, man, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Um, and I'm like, yeah, I know. And, and I got to go now. So, um, but uh, when I say personal pride, what I mean is I don't mean pride in your accomplishments. You do something, you set out to do it, and you do a good job. I mean an exaggerated sense of our own self-importance, right? And here's the problem. Francis Chan preached a, ser- a sermon on this, and I love what he said. He said the problem with preaching about pride is that all of the people that think this applies to them probably don't need this as much as they think they do. And all of the people who say, that really doesn't apply to me, are the ones desperately in need of that sermon, right? Because all of us, pride is very, very covert. It actually gets into our hearts and makes us believe that we do not need to, that we're not proud. That's its great trick. The great trick of pride is that it tricks you into believing you're not proud, right? Here's what C.S. Lewis says about it. He says, the essential vice, the utmost evil in the world is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all of that, those are mere flea bites in comparison. He said, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. A proud man, he said, is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride keeps us going like it's, it's, I'm better, I'm okay, I'm good, I don't need. And if you cannot, here's what Isaiah is saying, if you do not recognize the unspeakable grandeur, greatness, beauty, glory of God as compared to your relative unimportance in the universe, then you don't understand the relationship between you and God. You don't understand it. And if you don't understand it and you think you're worshiping God, some theologians say what you're actually doing is constructing an imaginary God, a lesser God. You're building yourself up and bringing God down, and that's not the relationship that God has in mind. In fact, here's the way Isaiah uh, puts it. He says, human pride will be humbled. Human pride will be humbled. And the loftiness of men will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The Lord alone is worthy. Last, two weeks ago, 
uh, we sang that song, that hymn, How Great Thou Art. And what I loved about that song and the way you guys did it was like, it was just, it was just a whole family of people saying, God, you are great. You are great. You are worthy. You are beautiful. You are majestic. And when we begin to understand that dynamic, man, it liberates us to not have to be so awesome and not to have to be so great and not have to try to measure up to other people's standards and not have to, you know, compare ourselves to other people because we're like, look, God is great and mighty and we just worship him. We just open our hearts to him. So personal pride is, is, is one of those things. And again, if you're here today and you say, That's not, that point is not for me, this point is for you. It's for you, it's for me, it's for all of us that struggle with this. And then the third one, that he talks about, Isaiah talks about, that keeps us, prevents us from having intimacy with God is private rebellion, private rebellion. Now, you and I both know that we've all messed up and sinned and done bad things in our life, but we know that usually the big thing, the big stuff, the really, the really, the the ones that show up on the Richter scale, those don't come out of the blue. Those come after incremental smaller, sometimes unconscious steps. So my family and I went to Tampa a couple weeks, or a couple weeks, I wish, a couple years ago um, and for vacation. And we were in the, I was in the ocean, and right in front of me on the beach was my wife and our hotel and, you know, the umbrella and the little chair and everything, so right there. So I'm out in the water, and I'm just kind of hanging out in the water, just soaking it in, relaxing, enjoying, you know, and not really paying attention to anything, just kind of just chilling, just looking around, taking in the sun, taking in the clouds. And maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes go by, and I look back up at the beach. Awesome. Um, I look back. <laughs> it's all right, Lee. It's all right. Here, I'll take it. No, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just messing. I just turned mine off, so you were good, man. Um, um, so I look back up at the beach to check on, you know, see how everybody's doing. And I can't see my wife, and I can't see the umbrella, and I can't see the chair, and I can't see the hotel. I see another hotel, and I see a bunch of other chairs, and a bunch of other umbrellas, and a bunch of other people. And what had happened was I'd been floating out there, and the way the tide comes in and comes out, it just keeps scooting you down the way. You know, I was like halfway to Mexico uh, (laughs) when I looked up. That's what happens in our lives when... That's what personal rebellion is in our lives. It's little incremental decisions that we make here and there. Yes, no, will do, won't do, shouldn't, but okay. Not really thinking about it. Doesn't really matter that much. And pretty soon we look up and we go, God, what, what hap- where's God? Where's God? I'm looking at the wrong hotel. Like, where's God in my life? I, I'm, I'm far from him. And that's when the big rebellions start to happen. And Isaiah says, this. He says, your iniquities, your little incremental decisions, those little trespasses, those little errors that you have made have separated you from your God. He said, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's those little things. We keep getting separated further and further. Now, if Isaiah stopped here at the sermon, it'd be so depressing because it's like a diagnosis it's like hey things aren't good and it's a prognosis it's going to get it's going to get bad it's going to get worse but i want to say that isaiah what's encouraging and amazing about him 
is that he also gives us the cure. He says, look, here's what keeps you from having an intimate relationship with God. But I want to tell you what brings a relationship together between you and God. How do we restore our intimacy with God? He says, I'm going to tell you how you restore it. Because God, remember, from the very beginning, desperately wants that intimate relationship with you. He wants your heart. And the very first thing that he says is this. Number one, you want to have a relationship with God, serve justice. Not, not religion, serve justice. Serve justice. This week, my five-year-old said to me, Dad, what does justice mean? And I said, where did you, where did you hear that? Like, I wanted to get some context. He said, Kung Fu Panda. I said, okay, um, we can work with that. Um, and I started talking to him. I said, you know, justice is, you know, like when there's, when there's oppression in the world or somebody strong is, is harming somebody weak, that's injustice. That's wrong, right? Justice is when we move in and we correct that. We fix that. We address that. That thing that shouldn't be happening, we fix it, right? And when we as followers of Jesus start to get a vision for what a just world looks like, right? A world where we're reaching out to people from every walk of life, from rich, poor, every ethnicity, every age, and we start to say, hey, man, we are equals. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We, and we start to build a community like that. If you can imagine that world, that's justice. That's justice when we're reaching out to the fatherless and the widows, when we're reaching out to the poor and the disenfranchised, when we're reaching out to those who are hurt, and we're saying, hey, the doors are open. We want to empower you. We want to give you strength. We want, to ex- we want you to experience the love of the Holy Spirit that we are experiencing in our life. And we begin to reach out that way. That's justice. Isaiah says, serve justice. And in fact, he says here, here's the religious observance that I want from you. Isaiah 58. He says, to loose the chains of injustice. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Untie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them. When you, then, he says, this is what's going to happen. When you do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then you will call the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. You want a relationship with God, we serve justice. We, we, we give him our heart, not just our lip service. We give him our heart. You say, how do I do that, right? Do I go out and start a nonprofit agency? Maybe. Maybe you do. And if you do, and you want to do that, let us know. We'll talk to you. We'll help you. We'll t- try to figure it out along with you. Some folks in our congregation are doing that now. But there's some practical ways that you can do it right now. One is just find a place to serve here, locally, right here in our congregation. Reach out to folks right here in our congregation, right? We have our 401 today. You can come to that. We'll help equip you. We'll help, you know, help. The, the goal of that, of that ministry is make a difference, to help you get plugged in and get involved, to make a difference right here in our community, right? Another way is just when you see injustice in your world, at your school, on your job, wherever it is, don't shy away from it. Don't run from it. Address it. Stand up, as we talked about last week. Stand up for what's right. Don't just turn away. Stand up for what's right in your own context, right? Another way you can do it is join us, partner with us. We, our church gives away tens of thousands of dollars every year to serve justice. It's what we do. We help the poor. 
We help the needy, the hungry. We help people that are coming. We supported, we wrote a check last week, a couple weeks ago, to Father Support Center. They help guys coming out of jail to reintegrate with their families, to take care of their kids, to help with the, 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 their wives or, or the mothers of their children. And we're behind that. We're involved in that. I, we're on track this year to give away around $35,000 to nonprofit agencies and missions works and that kind of thing around the locally. But hold on, but hold on, but hold on. I want to see us give away $50,000. This is our fifth year. This is our fifth year. We can do that. I mean, we can do that. If everybody says, you know what, I want to serve justice. I want to get involved. I want to start, I want to, I want to find a way to get plugged in. If you want a place to volunteer, you email us. Put it on your connection card. We'll get you dialed in. Uh, but, but give. Give because 10% of everything that you give to U City Family Church, we send out the door to help those agencies and help those um, uh, nonprofits and help those folks that are struggling. So you can serve justice right here. It's not like some pie in the sky, out there, kind of crazy idea. We're doing it right here. We're doing it locally. So serve justice. That's number one. Number two is seek earnestly. Seek earnestly. Um, we've got this book. It's called Fresh Start. And um, if, a, if, if you are here today and you are at some point in this service saying, you know what, I wanna, I'm ready to make a commitment to Christ. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. Um, put it on, let us know. Put it on your connection card. We're going to send you this book. We'll send you a letter. Um, one of our leaders will call you and just say, hey, how can we help walk you through the process? Or if you want to recommit your life. If you've been a Christian, if you are a Christian, but you don't have an intimate relationship with God, and you go, I want that, let us know. We will help start, start you know, walking down the path with you. We'll help you take that next step. Um, we want that. We want every single person in this congregation to have a deep, loving, intimate relationship with God. That's what we want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what you want for me. Believe me, that's what we need as a family, as a church, to let God have our heart. If you haven't been baptized and that's your next step, let us know. If you're a member but you're not serving, that might be your next step. If you're serving but you want to lead a life group, that might be your next Whatever it is, you can just let us know. We're gonna, our job is to empower you to do what God made you to do. That's what, that is what my job is. That's my entire job description. It's like one sentence. To empower you to do what God has made you to do anyway, right? So we want to help you seek. Here's what Isaiah said. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You, watch this. This is important. I'm going to close in just a minute. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Stop. Hold on. You who have no money, come buy. Buy. Purchase. This is interesting. Then he says it again. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. What is he saying in this passage? He keeps saying, come and buy this. Those of you who have no money, come and buy this. And what he's saying is, look, you actually don't have anything to offer God to get God in good graces with you. You've got, you've, you've got nothing. You've got, I've got two peppermints and some um, tinfoil. Like, you've got nothing. You've got nothing that God needs. 
But he says, come and buy. So what does he mean, buy? What am I going to buy with? Well, here's, here's what Isaiah ends with. He said, God wants your heart so much. He wants a relationship with you so desperately that he is actually going to pay for it himself. Because Isaiah wasn't just the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He was the messianic prophet of the Old Testament. He's the one that just verse after verse after verse is talking about Jesus and the Messiah and the gift who will be coming. In fact, Old Testament prophecies, 33 times they use the word salvation. All of the prophets put together, 33 times of the Old Testament. 26 of those times are from Isaiah. Because Isaiah is saying, look, you got to have this relationship with God. He wants your heart, but you can't give it. You don't have, you can't buy that relationship. So he is going to provide the money, the currency to have the relationship with him. And here's how he's going to do it. Isaiah 53, he speaks into the future, 700 years, and he says, he was wounded. Wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. Who's he talking about? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Watch this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He said, you know, you, you can't undo that pride. You can't undo the iniquity. You know, when you floated down the beach so far, man, you, you, you can't swim all the way back upstream on your own. He's placed all those iniquities on Christ. When Christ stretched out his arms and said, I want your heart. Here's my heart. I want a relationship with you. And I'm here to give it to you. I'm here to bring you into right relationship with the Father. That's what Isaiah is saying. He said, you cannot do this on your own. You can't work hard enough. You can't serve hard enough. You can't give hard enough. You can't, that's not gonna do it. But I'm gonna provide, I want you to buy with no money and I'm gonna give you Christ who's going to create the, the currency for that transaction to occur, for you to have a real deep loving, intimate relationship with God. I'm going to close with, with this. So if you want to uh, come and uh, play keys. Um, a couple years ago, I was speaking to a guy, a young guy who was at our church, and um, he had grown up in church, just like me, and uh, at a certain point in his life, he just kind of checked out of church, got mad at God, got hurt, angry, you know, sin, all that stuff combined. And so he went out, spun his, spun his wheels for a while, um, and then got married and thought, ah, we kind of need to get back. We need to kind of get back and do some church stuff and, you know. So they started coming here. Um, and I took him out to lunch, uh, and he, we're, we're driving. I actually remember where we were driving. We're on Skinker and uh, Forest Park. And he just, starts, he just starts opening up. And he says, you know, I'm trying to get back into right relationship with God. I'm trying to have a relationship with God. 
He said, you know, I've stopped the stuff that I, you know, that I know is, is messing me up. I've stopped, you know, all crazy partying and, you know, drugs and all that stuff. And I'm reading my Bible and, you know, I'm going to church and trying to pray and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but I, it's not there. Like, I don't, I don't, it's not there. It's just dry. It's just dead. I don't have, there's no intimacy there. I don't feel anything. I'm not experiencing anything. And I think the Holy Spirit actually gave me wisdom in that moment to speak because I wouldn't have come up with this on my own. And I said, man, I said, you know that, you know, you grew up in church. You know the story of the prodigal son. He goes, yeah. I said, remind me what the prodigal son did when he came back to his father. Just remind me of the things that he did to get in good graces with his dad. <laughs> and the guy like sat there for a minute, you know, and he was like, I could tell he was like really thinking through the story. Like, okay, he came back and then, and then it like hit him and he went, he looks over to me, his eyes like filled with tears. And he goes, hmm, nothing. I go, yeah, that's right. The father ran out to him. Yeah? The, the son couldn't do anything to get back into good grace. He just came back. He just showed up. I said, man, it is good for you to pray, man. You need to be praying. It is good for you to be reading the scripture. You need to get deep in the scriptures. It's good for you to be at church. You gotta be at church, right? But you're not gonna win his favor. You're not gonna win his love through your efforts. You don't have any money to get to buy that relationship back. He's coming after you. Open up your arms and receive his grace. Open up your arms and receive his love. In other words, surrender all. Surrender all. Open up your life and say, God, I just, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need you to come into my heart transform me, change me, make me yours. I can't do it on my own. And it's when you are weak that he is strong. It's when you surrender that he prevails. It's when you let down those walls and you let down those guards and you say, God, I just need you. I surrender my life to you. That's when he comes running out after you, scoops you up, wraps his arms around you, loves you, brings you hope, brings you peace, brings you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He comes after you if you'll surrender all. If Isaiah were here today, he would say, God wants your heart. So let him have it. Give it up. Turn it over to him and experience a, a, a transformation in your life that is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Is it going to, everything going to change? Are you going to get all happy all of a sudden? No. But your life will have a depth of meaning and purpose and joy and peace unlike anything you've ever experienced. He says, I'm coming after you. I am the Lord your God. I'm your Savior. And I love you. He loves you. Let's close our eyes for a moment as we close here. And I want to just invite those of you who are here today and you've been you know you've been jaded you've been hurt you, you've gotten beaten up you know uh in your past and you're just sort of like you just don't know if you can have that relationship with god i'm going to invite you to pray 
with me in just a moment. And, and also those of you who are, you know, the religious folks who are doing the stuff, doing the religious thing. And, you, you know, you look good and everything's cool and everything's great, you know, out on the outside. But you know, like somewhere inside, there's, man, there's not a, there's not a real deep, rich, loving, intimate connection with God. I don't know how to get that. I'm going to invite you to pray. And, and, and those of you who don't think you need any of this, man, you guys need to pray. You need to pray. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I want you to open up your hearts and just in your own heart, in your own silence of your own um, heart right there in your seat, just, just pray with me as, as I pray. Father, we come before you today, and the words of Isaiah are so powerful and so inspiring and encouraging to us and, and convicting also. And Lord, we, we want to clear away whatever obstacle is in our path that keeps us from having a deep, rich, loving, powerful, intimate relationship with you. We don't want to do religion. It's boring, it's lame, it's ineffective, and it turns us and other people away. We don't want that. We don't want to do that. Help us clear that out of our, our life. God, the pride that we have sort of built up over time where we kind of turn in on ourselves and we just kind of think that, you know, we have an exaggerated sense of our own self-importance, just break that out of our hearts. Break that, Lord. So let, us, let us humbly come after you. And God, those little transgressions, those little iniquities, those little sins, those errors, those mistakes, those moments where we've missed the mark, God, God let, let us just drop those on your shoulders today. Father, help us to open our hearts and surrender our lives to you. Every single one of us in this church, every single one of us in this auditorium, let us surrender our hearts to you in a way that we have never done before. Let it be real. Let it be real. Let it be rich. Let it be deep. And then God, let it grow. Let it grow in our church family. Let it grow in our life groups. Let it grow on our dream team. Let it grow in our Sunday morning worship services. Just let it grow all through us, God. And then let it just permeate this community. Let it pour out of here. And let it touch the people in University City and the people in St. Louis and the people in St. Louis County and north and south and east and west. Just let it, just, just let it flow out of here like a light and just shine into the darkest corners, God, of our world and, and bring people home to you. Bring people home to that relationship with you. Today, Father, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. The only thing that you desire, I give you my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.